Hello everyone, this is Shweb Khan here at Anti Small Talk, and today in our collaboration with Teacher Hug Radio, we've got a fantastic conversation with a brilliant educator. We've got Zena Zenuus Walker um, joining us here at Anti Small Talk, talking about so many different things. I'm so excited. Hello, Zena, and welcome to Anti Small Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's fantastic. So I heard your tiny voice talks. I better get that right with uh, Toria. And I just picked up on so many incredible stories and your breadth and depth of experience as an educator. I thought we're going to have you an anti small talk at some stage. And thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to this. We've had this plan for ages and we keep kind of backward and forwarding. So it's really good to actually get us both pinned down. Absolutely. We've got a lot of mutual friends as well. So shout out to Audrey Pantelis and shout out to Carl, uh, Carl Poopy Action Hero Teacher. They're listening. I know they are. If they're not, and I'm going to make them listen. And yes, and Sharifa Lee, absolutely. And Toria as well. So we've got a, 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 a group of friends who promoted this as well. So pushed us to do this. So, so Zena, okay, we've got loads of questions for you. Okay, we've got loads and loads of questions for you. Okay. First and foremost, okay. Why did you choose to become a teacher? Was there one particular thing that triggered your ambitions to teach or to educate? Um, why did I become a teacher? I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, my dad spent five years trying to persuade me to become a teacher. Um, once I'd uh, got my degree, he just was like, you know, look at becoming a teacher, become a teacher it's in your blood. Look at, you know, I'm a teacher. My auntie is a, a head teacher in Australia. Um, I had my other auntie who worked in schools across Leeds and Bradford. So I come from a long line of educators and teachers. Um, but I genuinely didn't want to be a former teacher. My time at school was awful, so it was the worst thing I could think of doing. Um, so I, I became a stage manager for a while, and I was working all sorts of different jobs, and my dad kind of came into my room and was like, if you think you're going to get away with working £135 a week um, for that kind of money, and you're going to buy a house and have some form of life, or live under my roof for the rest of your life, you've got another thing coming. Um, you really need to think about what your next step is going to be. And I've been saying it for years, I'm a teacher, and I just said, no, I, I hated school. I was so unhappy. Um, and he just said, well, why don't you be the teacher you now have? And it, that was it for me. It was, that, was the, the, that was it for me. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. Mm. And, um, yeah. I love how you've reframed that. I didn't have a very good experience at my, 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 during school either. So... I was, you know, had experienced bullying, racism at school, and then had fallouts with teachers who couldn't get me to be quiet in class. I don't know how that happens. I'm not, and I'm not a very chatty person, by the way. I don't talk very much, no. And uh, it just tends to happen. And um, yeah, um, I had a pretty bad experience, but reframing that and going back into school and being the teacher that you didn't have at school, and it kind of links into something that you spoke about with, uh, with Tori as well, the whole notion of unseen children. So um, what is an unseen child? What is your definition of an unseen child? An unseen child is a child who nobody really knows. They don't know what makes that child tick. They don't know what makes that child happy or sad. Um, and it's this idea of not wanting or trying to get to know who that person is. Um, and so I was really misunderstood as a child at school. And I was bullied for years at school. I was very, very unhappy. And even when I was trying to reach out to people to say, I need help, I don't know how to deal with this situation. You know, apart from maybe my head of year who once or twice would let me sit in his office so I didn't feel so threatened, I, you know, I was left out on my own high and dry with, with girls and boys genuinely being really unkind and nasty towards me. Um, 
And yet when I found my feet and that stopped, I was then suddenly this loudmouth. They, they thought I was a, a, a loudmouth, big mouth. Oh, here comes big mouth again, motor mouth. Um, and that really hurt um, because I was finding my confidence and I was finding out who I really was. Um, and that, that always used to have a huge impact on me. I didn't really trust my teachers to um, be right with me, to be fair with me, to see me. Um, I was never asked, how are you today? Mm. And it's those kind of questions that you need to be asking every single child that walks into the room. Um, or making that time when you do notice the child who's really quiet or the child who isn't really quiet, who's really, you know, out there being that motor mouth. Mm. Is there something that's going on behind that? Mm. Of course, absolutely. And you're right, these unseen children, you know, they are, they slip under the radar. They're in the back mm. of the classroom, the ones that are quiet. So we might deal with our pupil premium kids, our SEN kids, you know, the ones who are loud and, you know, poorly behaved or mm. the high attaining. But there's that group of children that simply go under the radar. And I think I did for a long time as well, um, for a very long time at school. It's only in sixth form where I was very fortunate where I found a teacher who, you know, gave me an opportunity just to express myself and, you know, utilise my talents. If I didn't have him, I wouldn't be where I am now. So, you know, shout out to Mr. Lewis as well. You know, I know he listens to the podcast as well. Shout out to Mr. Lewis. So, yeah, these these kids, you know, they, they do exist in everyone's classroom. And I think with such time constraints on teachers and sometimes, you know, I teach 40-minute lessons now with some of my key stage three classes because the way the timetable works with COVID, it's very hard to get to know your entire class and, and, and know what makes them tick and understand them. But as pastoral leads, the, the onus really is on, on people who are in the pastoral positions, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that they will um, have more time possibly I say that but having been um, you know an assistant principal for behavior I can tell you that time is really of the essence mm. it's about what you do and the conversations that you have with um, the children that you're speaking to and teaching um, and I would always find time to get to know children and build those relationships mm. because how can I help you to either figure out the barriers to your learning or support you into finding out who you are and the things that you want in life and to achieve your goals and your dreams if I don't know who you are as a person. Um, and that's something, you know, um, I didn't have at school either. The careers advice at school I, I received was shocking. You know, okay, so you've heard you're a bit of a big mouth. Have you thought about being an actress? Um, no, that's really what I wanted to do. I love drama but that's not mm. what I was thinking. Well, what do you want to do when you're older? How the hell do I know? I'm 14, 15. What, what's out there for me? Mm. Um, and actually building those relationships with children and you're trying to give them some advice for the future is really important. Of course, um, absolutely. And, and not giving them this whole idea of actually once you, once you start this path, you know, you, you can't come off this train. But actually, life isn't like that. You know, we have so many different paths and journeys we can take, um, and it's about saying, you know, you can take opportunities that you that you want for yourself. You don't have to stay on one train and that takes you to Timbuktu. You can come off the train and discover different places on the way, uh, and see whether or not this is definitely what you want to do. Life changes for everybody. Mm, absolutely absolutely me and Eli spoke about the notion of like how we discourage bravery from children we discourage mm -hmm. them from taking risks and and see failure as such a negative thing sometimes you know some of my biggest successes have come as a result of failures and I think we've got to accept that and and allow children to fail and understand 
not fall flat on their face, but to, to reflect on their experience and make the, the necessary adjustments to improve. And also, if they do fall, fall flat on the face, you know, it's okay, because we, we've all done that. Mm. And, and yet, it, it hurts. Let's be realistic about what that feels like and what that looks like. But also, teach them how to brush themselves off. And let's start again. It's that, it's that not wanting to take the next step or not wanting to do something for that fear of failing again. And that fear of failure has been something that has massively impacted on me, mm-hmm. um, you know, most of my life. Not anymore, trust me. Um, and a shout out to, to Women Ed. I will feel the fear and I will do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to be t- teaching our children to do now. Absolutely. Massive shout out to women and also anyone who's um, you know, providing any sort of networks of collaborations or massive shout out to you guys. But honestly, there is a, the fear of failure is something that exists. Like for me, it was huge at school. It was, I was told if I didn't pass my GCSEs, you're going back home to Kashmir. Um, my dad never meant it in a horrible way, but that very like visible threat for me, it pushed me to succeed and it motivated me for other children. It doesn't. So it's about pitching it perfectly. I wouldn't have worked for my brothers, for example. For them, it was if you're successful in something, that's fine. If you're not, you'll find an alternative avenue. Whereas me, I was on a one-way trajectory towards going to university. And in hindsight, do I wish I took a gap year? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do I wish I did some traveling? Absolutely. But I suppose recognizing that now provides an opportunity to do it in the future. Oh, that's one of my biggest regrets as well. I really do wish I'd spent a year out and just traveled the world. Mm. I've gone to see different things. And I consider myself very, very lucky. Um, you know, I have you know, I've been to Russia, I've been to Prague, I've been to Cyprus, Italy, Spain. I have been and, and seen the world, but there, there are parts of the world that I would have loved, like South America. I would have loved to go to South America and travel around for three years and um, do all sorts of things. But, you know, instead of living with regrets, I'm going to hopefully, you know, give that to other people, support other people to make those kind of decisions and not feel pressured to, to, to do one thing and stay on that path and not, you know, not I know exactly what you mean. an adventure at the same time mm, absolutely and i think i live by the notion of people who say to me you know what's your philosophy in life what's your what's your pedagogical you know value what, what do you think and i i always, I always say you know I, i'm here for a good time not a long time and i want to have loads of fun and i want to mm. smile when i wake up in the morning i want to enjoy what i'm doing and if i don't do it and if i don't not having if not feeling excited or you know uh, something that inspire me i'll ditch it and do something different and i think that's come from a long process of learning and reflecting on personal experiences and I think we're going to try and provide young people with that, that opportunity to think that something doesn't work. There's always an alternative route or maybe they can scrap that route completely and find something else that does work for them and find something that, that they're good at. A hundred percent. You know, before I became a teacher, I've worked in NatWest Bank. I worked at Blockbuster Video. I worked at B&Q. I was a stage manager. I was a recruitment consultant. I've done lots of little things before I found my way to teaching. Um, and for some time, I thought, you know, I, I might not be doing this for much longer, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been, it is the most challenging job. Mm. It is really stressful. It isn't about, um, you know, the six weeks holiday we get in the summer. There's so much that we do day in, day out for these young people. And you cannot come into a profession for, it's not about the money, is it? you've got to really want to be a teacher Definitely. to be a teacher and Definitely. and there are you know people who have come into teaching with the wrong intentions and they haven't lasted very long mm. because it's not an easy profession so a shout out to all of the teachers out there who have worked 
tirelessly um, during these awful COVID times that, you know, you deserve to be recognised for that work that you do. Um, absolutely, absolutely. We see them on our timeline as well, people like Lee Hill and people like that, you know, they're, they're putting in real hours and they're, and they're still trying to remain enthusiastic and smiling and, and trying to enjoy, enjoy the difficult times. But the pressures placed on schools during COVID has kind of like revealed the damage that existed before COVID as well. Mm -hmm. Our retention recruitment crisis, we can talk about, you know, teacher workload. Nobody's talking about teacher workload anymore, are they, when it's clearly an issue. Even now, I found it quite difficult to just switch off. And I think mm -hmm. as teachers, we... Because we're so conscientious and our job is so thankless at times, we're always trying to do be as productive as possible. And then there's being productive for the sake of being productive. Does that make sense? It's also, you know, it's also about leaders and head teachers knowing what's the right thing to do and doing that um, for their staff, recognizing what needs to be done, um, what has to be done, um, and what are we asking our staff to do. Mm -hmm. um, I've been lucky in that I've worked with some amazing senior teams and head teachers who really do have staff well-being at the heart of what they're doing mm. um, but I've also been in schools where that hasn't been the case and it has been demoralising for a staff um, and so on my journey to perhaps a headship in the next year or so there's so much that I've learned on how to do things and how not to do things. No, you'll get there. You'll get there. You'll make a fantastic head teacher because lived experience is everything. And um, I think once uh, someone has got that lived experience, they've seen it done badly. They've seen it done good. They can find their way of operating as well. I've seen mm -hmm. it done badly as well. I worked in, in places where it was it's horrible. You don't want to be there. You wake up with dread. And then I worked in schools where I wake up every morning thinking, I'm going to change someone's life. And I think our head teachers in particular, the ones who are doing it the right way, they are putting well-being at the, at the heart of everything they do. And that is mm -hmm. really important. I'm going to give a shout out to um, Heads Up for Head Teachers. Um, I'm, I'm an advisor on the, on the board for um, this group, and they are a support group for head teachers who are just genuinely needing, at some point, topping up as well. They are working tirelessly uh, through the night, working on COVID cases, track and trace, as well as running the, the finances and the business of the school teaching and learning all these things that head teachers are doing now um they are absolutely exhausted and to have um to have zero appreciation for that from our wonderful government is, is not okay so we have to we have to support our head teachers mm. really, um, and in turn they are going to be supporting themselves. Absolutely. And it's a ripple effect. We support them and we, then we support our students and our staff as well. And really, you know, in terms of practicality, what can we do to, do to support our head teachers? Provide them with clear guidelines. That would be a start. And I that think that's what we're desperate for. On a Friday night. Absolutely. Night, on a Saturday night. You know, Absolutely. On Monday. Can we have your feedback on Monday, please? It's disgusting. And mm. um, I found a really interesting tweet, actually, that said, um, oh, what was it? Um, I can't remember I saw it, it's something about um, the fact that head teachers have been given all of this um, guidance or some support that is needed by the government on Saturday evening. We've gone all political, we've gone all political, look. Absolutely. What we, we, like, what we like. Absolutely, it always tends to be the case. Okay, Zina, I've got some more questions here for you, okay? So, uh, um, first one is, um, thus far in your career, what has been your biggest challenge, your most toughest challenge? Oh, toughest challenge in my career. If you can name one. 
Okay, toughest challenge, hands down, and I know I keep saying this, but it's so true, is, is building relationships. Mm. They are my toughest challenge, but it's the challenge that I thrive on. And it's knowing that when I have built that relationship with whoever it may be, a member of staff or a student or my head teacher or whoever it is, I know that things will get better once that is built. So once I've allowed that person to get to know who I am and know that my motives for wanting to build that relationship aren't for, for any reason other than wanting to build a positive and meaningful relationship with somebody because I'm a connector, I like to connect with people, um, then you can support, you can help, and you can lean on mm. people when you're not okay. That's, that's what it's about for me. But, but that is the biggest challenge because there are people who do not want to build relationships. Mm. There are students who I've met who don't trust adults. They mm. don't want to build relationships with adults. You represent something to them that they don't trust. Mm. So those are the relationships that are really tough to build. But I keep on going. I, keep on I going. think it's really, really important. The persistence is really important. And I think children, um, my, my dad used to always talk about children are very good BS radar. They can see through what's real and what through what's really fake. And they know who's here to stay and who's who. I remember when I was observing a, a teacher not too long ago. And uh, shout out, she's a fantastic teacher. She's probably listening to this as well. And uh, she knew the students. And I said to her immediately, a lesson ended. I go, how did you know? Like, how did you know how to pitch that lesson? We were teaching them for four weeks. She goes, I've not been pressuring them to do work. I've just been wanting to get to know them. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, they can walk in with a sense of comfort. They know I'm going to be here and we can have, a, a, you know, some, some fun. We can have, you know, activities in class. It's when teachers don't invest time in that and it's so focused, driven on meeting learning objectives or something like that or exam questions, the, the essence of learning is lost, isn't it? There's a... And I'll tell you what, that I had a really interesting um, conversation with some of my wonderful colleagues at my previous school um, and we were talking about they, you know, how are you building these relationships with these kids? Is it because you've got a bit more time this year? You have not teaching as much? Um, and actually I, it was about I make building relationships a priority um, <laughs> over the content in a lesson uh, because I know that once that relationship is built the content and then learning and progress will come a lot easier but if I am you know Holding, holding their mouth open and trying to feed them content without getting to know who they are or how they like to learn that content. Um, I'm bashing my head against the brick wall and that's when you're going to have consistent behaviour issues. And actually, you, you're so conscious about wanting um, your young people to learn everything that needs to be learned for, for exams or for what, mm -hmm. you know, projects or whatever it is you're trying to do. And then suddenly... The kid who's, who doesn't care about that because you haven't built a, a relationship with them, you're constantly kicking him out of your lesson mm. because he's being a pain. He's disrupting the learning of other people. But then he's not learning that content. So build that relationship with every single child. Build that relationship more so with that child who's constantly being sent out of lessons and then see how well you know, you'll have that person eating out the palm of your hand. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's investing that time is really, really, really important and, and making sure that it's not just investing that time as well. It's about getting to get into groups with your class and any sort of ideas you have are driven by the context to where you're based. If you have a class of SEN children, for example, you pitch it and you differentiate the lesson for their needs. 
And I think that's what it's really about. It's about getting to know your, your, your cohort. Now, I've told many teachers who've worked in, you know, in our local area, do you ever drive around the area? Do you ever know what it looks like? The area that we live in is very deprived. Do you ever, they're like, no, we don't. I'm like, you need to get a feeling of the kids' reality. Pop into the local shop, you know, spend some time in the courtyards, you know, see it, just, just see it. Just analyze how they behave around one another and how they interact at the parents' evenings, you know. Um, assess how their parents talk to them, how they talk back to their parents. The small things that can make a massive difference. And, and That's you're, so you're, interesting that you say that. When I um, worked in a previous experience, gosh, how many years ago? We're going back four, five years ago now. Part of the recruitment process or part of the interview process is that you get into the school bus and they drive you around the local area mm. so that you really understand where these kids live um, and, and actually I thought that was really powerful because um, eventually when I was given you know break or lunch duties or before and after school duties I would often just walk to the local shop and just and I got to know the the, um, the local shopkeeper quite well and if there was any problems with any of our students he knew how to contact me and, you know, working with the community was equally as important. So, you know, when I talk about building relationships, you're building relationships with parents, you're build, building relationships with the local community because they are integral mm. to you, um, you know, educating and supporting and, you know, our young people, aren't they? Absolutely. I remember when I was working with NQT once and it was in a very challenging, challenging place. Uh, very, very difficult students. Uh, the school had gone through a lot of transition. And um, she said to me, Shreb, I'm really struggling with some of these students. What can I do? I was like, you know, the, the lollipop lady at the end of school, why don't you go and do duty with her for about a couple of days? She's like, oh, I never thought about that. I'm like, just, just do it and you'll see something very different. And the children will look at you very differently. The children are seeing them more and more and it, and it, and it, it kind of bridges that gap between them and us because there is a big gap between us in whether it's age, whether it's, you know, experience, you know, ethnicity, religion, etc. It's about bridging that gap and making those children realise that, yeah, and the community will realise that, you know, there are people from different backgrounds or different regions that they're not all the same. Even the North-South divide, we've got teachers from up north and you have a presumption about what they're really like. I think they're lovely. I think they're really, really friendly. And people from down south, there's a presumption as well. We've got a teacher come moved up from Somerset, I think it is. And, uh, you know, just a really, really cool human being who I can sit and talk to for ages and ages and not get much work done, actually. So I need to avoid doing that. But it is really bridging that disconnect, isn't it? Yeah, and also, you know, um, the more you let people know who you are as a person, the easier it becomes. You always have this thing as, oh, should I talk about my person? Should I talk about, um, you know, the fact that I'm before I was married, so I talk about having a boyfriend, or you know, um, the fact that I went out and did um, some amazing shopping and overspent, or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, that's a rubbish um, example to be honest with you. But you know, I often say, "Oh God, I've had an awful weekend." You know, my son woke up at three o'clock this morning and didn't go back to sleep till six o'clock, in which case I had to come into work. Um, but these little stories or things you tell people about yourself are really important on them getting to know who you are and I will tell you a little story actually um, in my previous school um, one of my previous schools I say um, you know my role was you know behaviour and alternative vision and there was a young year seven boy who you know I'm not gonna lie we really struggled to deal with his behaviour in school um, and Luckily, you know, we had our own off-site provision mm -hmm. and 
I had mentioned it to his mum that we were going to be considering sending him down to off-site provision. Um, and she rang me in rage and, you know, you're not sending my son, how dare you? You know, this is not going to happen. I said, look, I can see and hear that you're clearly really upset. Let's arrange a meeting because I need to get to the bottom of this because we need to work together to do what's right for your son. Mm. Um, because otherwise we're just going to be bashing heads and he's just going to continue on the, on the circle that he's in. So she came into the meeting and it turned out that she was also um, excluded from school. She was sent to um, an alternative provision that wasn't a very good one, that she was basically felt that she was just left there and that had a huge impact on the rest of her life. So as soon as I had mentioned alternative provision, that, that you know, all of her own experience with school had come to the forefront and she was going to fight tooth and nail to make sure her son wasn't taken out of school. But it wasn't until I really kind of showed her what our plans were, you know, the timelines for which we would consider him possibly coming back, um, what daily interaction and contact would be for her. She could really see that it was coming from a place of love for her son and actually wanting him to be successful. Um, and, and as far as I know, I'm not there anymore, he has been. But it's that building that relationship with that parent for her to see that I wanted the best for her son. It wasn't about me saying we can't cope with him in school, he has to go. Because, you know, we were lucky. We had a team of people that would have daily contact with her son every single day. He was being taught by the same teachers who would go down to this provision. So, and when it came to the point about a year later when we said, you know, we're actually thinking of bringing him back into school, she was like, oh, no, no, don't bring him back. He's brilliant here. He, he's doing really well here. So, so, yeah. so you bridge that disconnect and you bridge that gap between the parent and, and yourself mm -hmm. and the school and that is really really important and I think that I've opened up uh, many opportunities to that child as well simply by having that conversation absolutely mm. absolutely it's nothing extraordinary I know people talk about you know what I was a teacher in our school Mr. Mardle shout out to Mr. Mardle and he used to just he used to call us by our last name and I used to think why is he doing this and it was funny and he did it for like over a year, like, Khan, come here, you know, Hanif, come here. And we're like, oh, why is he doing this? It's like regimental army routine. And one day he said to us, Paul said, boys, do you know why I do that? I'm like, no, because like, I know it annoys you, but I know you love it secretly. Like, it, gives you, it gives you a sense of authority. I was like, yeah, we do kind of like it. Yeah, we don't, well, Khan, don't say we love it, but that was his way of, his way of bridging that disconnect between us and him. And it, it was, it was he's such a lovely, lovely bloke, you know, one of our, he was our design, design teacher and uh, he just understood the class really, really well. And really there was no similarities between us and them. We were predominantly, you know, uh, South, uh, South, um, South Asian lads and he was a white British dude, but he found something that worked with us, you know that. And sometimes we'd play Punjabi music in class and he'd say, boys, switch up. And he'd like, oh, boys, I'm going to put this racket on for you for a bit. And we didn't quite understand. Then he put on rock and roll and we'd be like, so what is this What is this all about? But it was that ability to have those conversations and um, that, that empowered us massively and enabled us to be creative. I felt more at home in his class than I ever did anywhere else around the school. So we used to look forward to coming to his lessons simply because he invested that time. And even though like, he did research on our last names, like, he would know our origin of our last name and we didn't know about it. So he knew more about, you know, the origins of our names more than us. So he kind of put us to shame. So yeah, um, those sort of teachers, we, we, we never forget them. You don't forget them, but equally you don't forget the teachers that made you feel awful. Yep. You know, so, you know what does my Angelie say? If you don't forget um, 
people might forget the things you did. They might forget the things you said. But they'll never forget the way you made them feel. Absolutely. And that, that works both ways. You know, I equally remember the people who had a really positive impact in my life mm-hmm. during my school and education years. But I also have a really awful memory of people who were really not very kind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the same with staff. Exact same with staff. We remember the ones yeah. who are good to us and the ones yeah. who are not so good to us. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not naming anyone, but, you know, there are people out there who I believe, you know, have been quite unfair and treated people, people including myself, unfairly. But the ones who treated me well, you know, I always hold them very, you know, very high regard, and always try and support them the best that I can when, 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 whenever I see them. So, yeah, I, it's do, the, I think I do try to be behind that, you know. And, and I mentioned it on Tamir's um, podcast where I got to a point where I said I was going to beat crap out this girl because she'd been bullying me for years mm. and when I saw her handshake and I suddenly realized that she had some stuff that was happening in her life mm. and I kind of feel the same now about people who are either rude or abrupt or not very nice to me um, and actually I will try now and figure things out what's happening for you mm. um, and I'm not somebody who goes away just because you give me a bit of a growl I mean, you know, part of senior leadership is going to be growled at sometimes, but mm. I, I want to know what's happening because in order for me to support you, to help you, I need to know who you are. Of course. Um, and that's the kind of person I've always been. Of course. I think what's really, really important is like heads and senior leaders who know not necessarily everything about your personal circumstances, but are considerate towards your personal circumstances. So I worked in a school where... Um, there was a member of staff who, you know, sadly miscarried. She's very close to her due date as well. And um, our head teacher actually wrote a card, and it was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. Um, he invested a serious amount of time in getting to know that member of staff because the idea was to promote them into senior leadership. Mm-hmm. And that lady now returned back to work. She's absolutely thriving. She loves her job because she got very, very small, you know, token gesture from this from this uh, from this school leader who. You know, uh, this head teacher who just supported her through a very difficult time. And it is the small things that we do have the biggest impacts. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's those things that you you do naturally as a person. Mm. I, I do naturally as a person. I can't say everybody does it. I do things naturally because it's who I am as a person in my heart, in my soul. Um, I'm somebody, I cannot walk past people if I think they're in need. I, I cannot, it's, ingrained in me it used to get me into a lot of trouble as a child i remember ringing my mum when i was 15 i'll be honest i truanted my school don't tell anybody mum i'm sorry you're only just finding this out now if you listen to this um and i was walking towards a bus stop and there was a, a heavily pregnant woman at, you know on the bench crying and as I got closer to her, I realised that she was homeless. And I thought, okay, I'm 15. I have no idea what is going on here, but I am not about to walk past this woman. It started to snow. Um, so I sat down next to her and I just said, hi, I'm Zena. Are you okay? And she was shocked because people had just walked past her yep. and didn't even know, know what was going on. And she was clearly very pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, can I help you with anything? And she was just like, I'm in labour, but I'm too scared to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, was like, are you kidding me? 
because you know you're about to have a baby i've never helped someone have a baby why would somebody not want to go to hospital i didn't know i didn't understand and she just said like i don't have anywhere to live they'll take my baby away um and i was just like in shock and i said look i can happily try and figure out how to help you give birth that's not going to help the situation i have one pound to my name that will take both of us to the whittington hospital and then i will walk the rest of the way home and if you want me to stay with you i'll stay with you it's not a problem it took me over an hour to convince this woman to get on the bus we got on the bus and the look that she got from the bus driver was disgraceful um and the looks that she was getting and that i was getting because here this, this girl in the school uniform <laughs> with this very heavily pregnant woman who's homeless what is she doing and i took her to the whittington i explained to the woman behind the reception at a and &E what was going on and the doctor came out and thanked me and just said you know take it from here her name was claire i don't know anything else i don't know if she had a girl or a boy i still think about her mm. i called my mom it was about three hours later at this point um i was late home and i just mom i'm so sorry I was helping this woman and she was like, here you go again, picking up broken wings. Where have you been? I said, mum, it's snowing really badly and I'm freezing cold. Would you get dad to pick me up? And, you know, I kept doing reverse calls. Every mile I was walking, doing a reverse call. In the end, my dad came to pick me up. And he's just like, what are you doing? Everywhere you go, you just, you know, you can't help yourself. We have to be that kind of person. If we don't want to help the people that we see, I, I just... Yeah, I can't walk past anybody. It's mm. just who I am. I've got plenty of stories I could tell you. Mm. But recently, I got, we talked about the small things, weren't we? Mm. I got an, a message on Twitter from a student I taught 15 years ago. Wow. Last week saying, Miss, I just wanted you to know that I've been doing some work with, um, about Stephen Lawrence and it took me back to that drama, drama um, lesson we had when you were talking to us about Stephen Lawrence and the impact that this has had on society. And, mm. X, Y, and Z. I was just, and I found you on Twitter and just thought I'd see how you are. That's incredible. You know? And that's incredible. And we, I think when you're empathetic towards others, it does create a ripple effect. You know that? And um, it does, and it naturally, you just touch people along the way anyway. Um, I could tell you hundreds of stories. Uh, but this is your <laughs> podcast, not mine. I'm not here to tell my, I tell my story. I can do that eventually anyway. But yeah, there, there are, um, it's the small things that we do have a massive impact. And, we should have a big heart anyway. That's how we should be. But I think, you know, in, in, the, in the time that we live in, it's so transactional, isn't it? Where we'll only talk to people if we need to speak to them or we need something. Things have, We've got to change that, that mantra. And I think the way education has become so um, corporate at times, very cold, very callous, uh, we, we've lost a lot of the pastoral elements to it. I tell you what, I, if I ask you how you are, it's never a flipping thing. You know, people always go, oh, you're all right, Dee, how are you? Um, and I, you know, depending on how you've asked me, depending on the response that you get, mm. and people often, and they, they get to know me soon. If I ask you how you are, I want to know how you really are. Yep. You know, so if you come up with, yeah, I'm all right, I'll stop and go, you sure? What's going on? Um, mm. It takes time. It takes That's time. That's absolutely. You know, in teaching and education, you know, mm. it's finding that time, isn't it? Mm. There's a big difference between asking like you said asking someone how they are and what and then what they're doing but you're also very conscious of protecting yourself when you do that as well mm -hmm. i've often allowed people to just talk and talk and talk at me and you walk away from a situation thinking 
damn, I don't know how to help him. And sometimes yeah. is that emotional competence, how much one person can like deal with. And I think learning that is, is really, really important. Otherwise we can take on the world's problems and not realize the impact it has on us. Yeah, no, I certainly think, you know, I've changed my outlook on what I do and how I do things. Mm. It's not for me, it's not about fixing people anymore. Um, you know, I will do things to support you, to help you, but I'm not purposely out of time to fix your problem. Mm. And that's something that I think we do, especially when we are empathetic and we feel other people's pain. You mm. want to fix that because it doesn't feel good. Yeah. But essentially, they've got to want to fix things themselves. And, and we can almost find ways and help them to do that. But we can't fix that problem. Anymore. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then that process of knowing when to let go as well, that comes from experience as well. And, uh, and knowing when to say, I'm sorry, but I can't deal with this right now. Or can you come back to me later? And I'll try and come up with a solution. And it will signposting them. I think signposting is really important. I... I find it difficult to turn people away myself whenever they contact me. Um, but then sometimes when I get immersed, I end up living that experience when it's, it can trigger some really bad memories as well and awful experiences. So um, it's about finding that balance and, and making sure that person gets the support, but also you have supported yourself by supporting them as well, which is hard. Yeah, no, 100%. Mm. Absolutely. Zina, I'm just conscious of time. Okay, I've got a couple more questions for you. Okay, because we could talk for ages. This feels like the living room doesn't it it's crazy it's absolutely crazy um what advice would you give to new teachers entering the entering the profession now i feel like a broken down record player make time build relationships mm. it is genuinely that is the best thing you can do for you and for the children that you are mm. um, teaching i would also say you know if you have time to add a detention on to a system, make the time to have phone calls and speak to parents and mm. parents. You know, equally about the great things that they're doing. When you start to make those phone calls home that are really positive, that show that there's an equal balance between the, 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 the stuff that isn't great that they, they do mm. at school and the stuff that they do is, that's amazing, that's thought about, you know, effort and excellence and all of these things. Mm. They've worked hard, you want to you know, call home, then you're likely to get that support of that parent when things get difficult, when your when your relationship becomes fractures. Mm. Um, but if you constantly ring a parent or set detentions, all they think is, you just think my kid is bad. If I don't have that balanced um, viewpoint from you as a teacher, then how am I going to support you? And all you think is my child is so have a balanced um, communication with parents and parents and have that equally with the students because if you know it is as easy as that sometimes to put attention on for a, for a child it's as easy as just adding a name clicking the button hey presto there's a detention if you're setting a detention i don't have an issue with setting detention before people get upset if you have set a detention, make the time to repair that relationship so that when you have that child back into your classroom, they know that no grudges have been held, that they are still safe and that you are starting again. Mm. Because relationships that built in trust do that. We have ups and downs, but we know that really we're here because we care. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely correct. And yeah, absolutely correct. And that investment of time is absolutely imperative. And you know, I've got one last question for you, okay? That like, always okay. ask my guests on the podcast, okay? You, you, you're probably bracing yourself for this, okay? I think you've got quite an eclectic taste in music like me. Um, <laughs> what is currently on your playlist? Uh, what are you currently, are you, have you got Christmas songs? Are you listening to like one particular genre or are you all over the place like me? So I'm listening to Robbie Williams at the minute. I don't know why. I'm on a Robbie, I met Robbie Williams. Shout Robbie out to Robbie Williams. Yeah, Robbie Williams. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love, uh, she's the one. That's my favorite Robbie Williams song. And Rock DJ. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's currently on your playlist, Zina? Okay. If I was to go through my playlist, you're going to have uh, a lot of world music. So I'll have a bit of Bandra. Then I'll have some, I love Arabic music. I then have some Greek music, some French rap. Brilliant. Um, and then it will go to things like Kylie. Uh, like, <laughs> like Kylie. Go. Kylie's cool. Yeah, she's fab. Um, old school Madonna. Madonna's cool. Aretha Franklin. And then I'll have, you know, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. Uh, I do not have any set type of music. I genuinely just love music. I think it's really important to appreciate all different types of music. So like I said to you before, we started as well. Uh, now I, I'm from like inner city Cambridgeshire, like isn't Brooklyn, but we don't listen to like certain types of music. So like Spice Girls and stuff, it never it registered to me. I think this year has been a year of self-discovery. And now I'm a Spice Girls fan. I haven't got a poster yet or a t-shirt. I managed to see the Spice Girls before lockdown. That's <laughs> really cool. You know who my favourite Spice Girl is? Melanie C. I think Melanie C is very talented. She is very talented. That's Sporty Spice, isn't it? That's the one. That's the one. She, she, made, a song, she, she made a song with Brian Adams. <laughs> yeah, she made a song with Brian Adams. Uh, I think it's called When You're Gone. That needs to. That that is so underrated. That should have been number one. But I literally listen to everything. So that I've got a 90s playlist, Eagle Eye Cherry, um, Eddie Grant, that sort of era. And then obviously early 2000s as well, which is really important, you know. Jojo and people like that and you know Nelly and then you've got TLC Destiny's Child TLC oh loved TLC Jodeci Destiny's Child Brian McKnight oh who else Eric Benet yeah oh I could be here all day long it's, it's not... another one and just play music at each other I think you know what's really really cool is you know when um because someone messaged me not long ago uh, I, I don't know who it was and I I think I posted up uh Massive Attack, one of their songs. Yeah. Uh, one of their songs I posted, and she messaged me, uh, this lady, she said, I played that at my wedding in like 1994. Thank you so much. Like, when did you come across this song? I'm like, last week. Um, I, I didn't know that back then, but it's so nice that you can invoke those positive memories in people and it takes them back to it. Music connects people in a really, really amazing way. Like, yeah, I even post that song by Lisa Loeb, Stay, and then people messaging me like, Shweb. That's a banger. Yeah. Like we didn't, yeah. we can't like that in public, but we can like it now that you've posted. I'm like, listen, I'm gonna post whatever's available, man. It's really poor. And do you know what? My children, they both have such a varied taste in music as well. And it's the same with films. It's quite funny because my son's like six years old, and he was um, when he was really young, like three years old. I, I must show you the video clip of it. He was singing, flash. Oh, oh the, the advert. Kids know this stuff, yeah. and you know he'll sing like the theme tune to the Goonies or Star Wars, and mm. you know it's the same for music. They just have such a varied taste in music. Nothing is the same. 
um, which I think is fantastic. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Honestly, if you're willing to do a sing-along, we've got Chris Bravery, Chris Bravery, he's going to be doing the guitar for me at one stage. He's going to be playing intro. So we can have you, him, Eli sings, Eli, that this food bangs. He sang Craig David walking away for me. So maybe we can have like a, I can't sing, you see. Maybe we can I have can like sing, a... I can sing, I can sing. We should do an anti-small talk like karaoke evening or something. Oh my, I'm there. How's I am happening? there. I used to sing. I sing to my students all the time. <laughs> you you might you might laugh at this year. I was in the choir at one stage. I used to have really angelic voice. Then it broke, and then like I got kicked out of the choir. So I used to sing like "Shine Jesus, Shine" all that sort of stuff. Uh, all my peers hated me for it, uh, but yeah, I used to I used to have quite an angelic voice, and then this is how it's kind of turned out now. So um, yeah, I, I can't sing. I tried to be a rapper as well. That that failed. Um, Did that fail? Yeah, it failed. Yeah. Um, I could just about rap to um. Oh, what's that? Fresh Prince of Bel Air song. All <laughs> oh, right, I'm more of an Outcast fan. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's. I like Outcast. Yeah, I like Outcast. You can't be a bit of Outcast. I'm telling you, you got uh, my Miss Jackson, for example, talks to me on a very special level. Um, oh, yeah. Shout out to Miss Jackson. You know who you are. I'm really sorry. I actually am. Um, you know who you are. Uh, and then things like um, what's the other one? Roses. Roses speaks to me. Yeah. No, we definitely, we definitely need to have a music collaboration at some stage. That's I think. it. We're done. And, and Carl's I was Ab- in on that. Absolutely. 2021 opens up plenty of doors and plenty of opportunities. And I think it's been such a blessing to make so many positive connections, including with people like yourself as well. And, uh, you know, long may it continue. I think as much as we've been disconnected, like because of even unable to meet people, but we've become more connected in different ways, haven't we? A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm really, really blessed to have got to know you. That you're a wonderful, wonderful thank you person. thank you life's all about elevating others and if we can provide them the opportunity to have their story heard that's the way forward i think toria inspired me to do so and uh, if we can we're just a natural extension of tiny voice tuesday to be honest with you just oh, yeah it just feels like we're one one big team aren't we no absolutely i want to give a quick shout out to some wonderful women from the talking circle mm-hmm. um alison phil who's just the most amazing lady she's Ms. incredible Alison who's just gorgeous and just got the kindest heart and Bookie oh Bookie just has me she's just amazing she's just written a chapter in um is that Bookie Yusuf she wears the headphones yeah she's she's really cool she's really really cool yeah you need to you need to connect with Bookie because she's just amazing we're gonna do a podcast all of you know everyone Kate Smith from Heads Up Head Teachers she's just lovely she's Mm. really supporting the network Mm. alongside James Pope um, Adrian McLean, Audrey Cantelis, who's like been coaching me. She's you amazing. You, no one goes near Audrey. Audrey's very close to my heart. She no, is, Audrey's Audrey. mine, yeah? That no, 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 no. You're going to fight over Audrey. Audrey's no, my no. She's my auntie. She, she, listen. she. I, I, listen. <laughs> Did you meet her before me? I think I met her before you. No, no. no okay, go on. What's the month you met her in? I don't know. March, April? March. Okay, March. I can't believe we're fighting over Audrey. Forget it. I'm mi- I'm winning, hands down. Audrey's an incredible human being. What, you know she's got a big enough heart for both of us. That's, so that's the truth. That is the truth. Absolutely, absolutely. Like yeah. Audrey. Yeah. Audrey shout, Audrey, shout out to you. By the way, our podcast, even till this day, I get people who've left school, like former students approach me. They say, sir, that podcast was incredible. I'm like, and the anti-racism one, like... You, it just you get goosebumps listening to the 
the the eloquence and the way she puts it, her words together and it's an incredible incredible podcast i was very blessed to put that together and that's mm-hmm. one for the ages that's one for the generations and that's one for the ages that podcast she is she is phenomenal mm. um and if you get a chance you know speak to there's there's lots of people I'm, i could go on there are, there. There are, i'm really conscious of time now as well <laughs> absolutely absolutely nosy it's been absolutely incredible to have you on anti small talk uh till we meet again Till we meet again. Fabulous. Thank you.